sermon series, uh, uh, wrapping up uh, what we've been talking about all year, this process of change, of turning to God, of becoming like God, of changing our hearts and our minds, actual, real change. That's what we're talking about today. And today's message is called Debt-Free Children. Uh, it, it uses in verse 12... That word debtors, and that is a word that uh, we've also used earlier this year when we were talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? That famous line that says, uh, lead us, or sorry, uh, forgive us our trespasses, as we often say, um, as we also forgive those who trespass against us. But the actual word in the Greek is debts. Forgive us our debts, as we also forgive those who have debts against us. And so I wanted to talk for a moment about debt. Do you experience debt in, in, in this life? Uh, I, I hear that debt is rising and climbing in America. And uh, I did a quick Google search on debt. And it was kind of frightening. <laughs> and I, I got to the part where they were talking about how, um, I guess in America in 2017, that um, Americans have more than $1 trillion in credit card debt. And I was like, okay, we can stop there. (laughs) You know, the more I read, I was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to like bum everyone out and everyone's going to be all fixated on their debt. And maybe for some of you, uh, those of you who are in college or will soon to be in college or just got out of college, you're thinking about student debt. And, uh, you know, so there's lots of memes about student debt. Have you guys seen this gift? This is like one of my favorite gifts of all time. When you're asked when student loans are paid off. <laughs> and the kid is like, oh, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> oh, man, debt. Oh, the feeling of having something hanging over you. Oh, my gosh, there's all this money that I owe. And at some point, if I don't pay it off, bad things will happen. <laughs> You know, have you ever felt, maybe it's not, you know, to this degree, but all of us, we experience debt, whether it be in your mortgage. Uh, I don't know if you've ever borrowed 20 bucks from somebody and every time you're around them, you know, that 20 bucks is hanging over your relationship with them. And they're kind of looking at you and they're like, hey, hey, good to see you, Steve. Where's my 20 bucks? You, know, you just see it in their eyes, right? So this idea of debt, Brothers and sisters, you probably feel there's, it's like a burden, right? That, that you don't feel free. So what would it look like to be debt-free? Uh, is there anyone here? I, I don't want to get too personal, call out people too much, but we're a church and we're a community and we're brothers and sisters. There's no judgment here. Is there anyone who has paid off like some great debt, maybe student debt, credit card debt, Something like that. I don't know. There's like a car loan and you paid it off. Anyone? Okay. There's like one person. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> I remember for me, one of the, the, the big debts that, that I had um, was uh, when I uh, bought the, the engagement ring for Aaron. And I know it, well, okay, maybe not I know or you know this, but it wasn't like the most expensive ring in the world. But for me, for, at the time, a part-time youth pastor, it was a tremendous amount of money. <laughs> and, and I had to go to K-Jewelers once a month and pay off this, 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 this ring. And I remember the last time I went in, I was at Briarwood Mall because <laughs> that's where I was going. And I remember the last time I, I made that last payment and they're like, oh, you're done. You're done. And I felt like this. There's a lot of gifts about getting debts paid off, too. <laughs> like this squirrel. I don't know what the squirrel is doing. Is the squirrel just find a pile of acorns? I don't know. But this squirrel's like praising the Lord, right? Debt free! I'm debt free! Yes! Can you imagine what that feels like to finally have that weight lifted off of you? Now, brothers and sisters, of course, we know in this world that circumstances, they never last. The worldly happiness never lasts. And this is the truth, is that it felt really good. Walking out of K-Jewelers that day in Briarwood Mall, you know, going to get my Pinkberry that day. The Pinkberry tasted a little sweeter. Just kidding. Pinkberry hadn't been built yet. But, you know, I, that, that, that feeling was, it, it, it was elation. It felt great. I felt lighter. 
You know, maybe some of you, you think about like, uh, you know, your paycheck, a big chunk is going to some of these debts that you have. You know, uh, I, I don't know. For some of our younger folks, uh, uh, you're like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Don't worry about it. Live debt free as long as you can. Enjoy. Enjoy being a kid. Never become an adult. <laughs> so frightening. But brothers and sisters, in all seriousness, uh, it, it, it is a great feeling. But of course, you know, as we talk about these temporary things, because they are temporary, uh, you know, I'll be honest, it lasted maybe a couple days. And then there were new concerns and new worries, right? It didn't last forever. But what I want to talk about today is a kind of a spiritual debt. And when I say spiritual debt, I'm not just talking about, you know, um, spiritual in a religious sense. But there is a kind of debt that all of us have. It is a kind of burden that you all carry. Whether you are a Christ follower or not, whether you are, uh, you know, young or old, I mean, I think younger people maybe don't have as much of this debt built up, but we all carry this burden. And it is a burden. It's a weight that is on us. And brothers and sisters, I want to talk about it today because partially, I think oftentimes we don't even know that we're carrying it. We just think that's life. Yeah, that's life, right? Everyone's stressed. Everyone's anxious. Everyone is restless. But brothers and sisters, it is a spiritual condition, something that Jesus came to free us from. This is where a lot of us, um, so, so this is what a lot of of, of faith, of, of Christianity is all about, is trying to free us from this condition. Now, we're going to use some terms today that I'm going to warn you are so well-worn that it's going to be almost meaningless to you. But like, first and foremost, we're going to use the word child, a child of God. And uh, <laughs> it, it's such a cliche that the most appropriate praise song that the praise leader and I totally backed him up on this. I was like, okay, the obvious choice for the closing song. I don't know if you guys noticed. Like, usually I'll, I'll like suggest a closing song. And if, if the, the, the praise song is actually based on the passage that we read, bonus points. And, and so the obvious choice here, because it's literally taken from this passage, was, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. But Jason was like, we, 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 we can't do that, Pastor Steve. We've done it so many times. Oh my gosh, we've done that song so many. I'm just kind of sick of it. I'm like, I'm with you, brother. It, it, it kind of has lost meaning for us. What does that mean? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a child. I'm a child. Yeah, I know that. And it's become meaningless. But brothers and sisters, I want us to, to, to understand what the debt is, what is weighing over our heads, what is weighing us down, and what does freedom look like? What does it look like to actually be a debt-free child in the kingdom of God? So let's take a look in verse 12. So this is where we get that idea of being a debtor. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, brothers and sisters, we are told here that we are not supposed to be debtors to the flesh. But the implication is that maybe a lot of us are. The Spirit is trying to free you from that, right? And so we have been talking the last few weeks, and maybe just a, a, a quick quiz here. What does Paul mean by the flesh? He doesn't mean the physical body per se, not strictly the physical body, because if he had meant that, he would have said that. It's a perfectly good word for body that he would have used. It's soma. But he does not use the word soma. He uses the word sarx, flesh. And it's kind of a weird word because for a lot of us, we just think of the body, right? And we usually substitute the body. But we've been trying to make the case, and you will see this when people uh, interpret the passage, uh, that they will substitute a word for flesh. They'll say something like, 
um, sinful nature or something like that. Um, sometimes they talk about the old self. And so the way that I have been translating flesh the last couple weeks is the self apart from God. Yourself apart from God. Your independent self. Yourself that says, you know what? I don't need God. I'm going to do this on my own. Right? I'm going to be good and self-sufficient on my own. I'm going to be a good and moral person on my own. I'm going to be an important person on my own. Right? I'm going to be a significant person on my own. All the ways that you try to feel good and satisfied and meaningful apart from God. Right? And so, uh, Richard Rohr, he uh, translates flesh a little bit differently. He uses the word or the phrase, the performance principle. What does he mean by that? The performance principle is that the way that you feel good about yourself, the way you feel satisfied, the way you feel worthy is by your performance, by what you do. Do you get that? So there's a difference. There, there's a dichotomy. Two things uh, side by side that are different. Flesh and spirit. To live in flesh is to say, I need to do something to be worthwhile. Right? Like, like if I do something, like from the time you were young, you were taught this. Right? If I jump high enough, right? If I spell all the words correctly, I'll get a gold star. And someone will be like, oh, good job. Oh, you're so good. And you're like, oh, I am good. I'm worth something, right? All of these things, like, like, oh, you know, I'm fast. And so people are like, oh my gosh, this guy's so fast. Man, you're so cool. And then you feel good about yourself, right? Or man, that guy can dunk a basketball. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Oh my goodness, you're a doctor. Wow, you must make so much money. Oh my goodness, you know, you are whatever, tall. You are thin. You are buff, you are skinny, you are, you know, all the features on on your face are perfectly, you know, symmetrical, you know, all these things that we look at and we say, you are worth something because of these things. That is the flesh. That is the idea that there is something that you do or something that you earn that makes you worthwhile. And so, brothers and sisters, there is a debt. There is a price that you pay for this. Maybe some of you think, what's so wrong with that? Isn't that just the way the world works? That you are supposed to be driven. We're very hard on people that aren't driven. You know, people who, they graduate from college and then they live at home for an extended period of time, or they don't have a job, something like that. And we're very hard on those people. We judge them. We're like, what's wrong with that person? They're lazy. They're not contributing to society. You know, and brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong. I I, I think that contributing to society and getting a job and all those things are important. But the whole idea is that does not give you inherent self-worth. Does that make sense? That does not make you worthy. But we feel like that. And there is a price to pay. This is the debt. So... How do we know that we are in debt to the flesh? And so what I did was I just substituted the phrase performance principle for the flesh. Uh, So we we are not supposed to be debtors to the flesh. But how do you know you are debtor to the flesh? Uh, So these are just some quick things, and there's probably more. Uh, But one thing is that you feel like you have something to prove. Right? And so I think a lot of us are there, don't you think? You know, like, oh my gosh, like, hmm, there's just something wrong with me until I can prove that I'm worthy. You know, there's some people that I know that, you know, are trying to get into some kind of program. You're trying to get into graduate school. You're trying to get into medical school. You're trying to, I don't know, get a certain kind of job, right? And brothers and sisters, uh, or, you know, I, I remember for me, there was a time where I really wanted to write a book. You know, and I I wanted to get like a book deal or something. And I know there's a lot of aspiring writers who like want that. And this is the thing. So we have this false notion. It's like, okay, somebody says, hey, I like your book. Or, hey, you can come into this medical school. Your grades are high enough or whatever the case may be. Right. And then you cross this threshold. Now I'm worthy. 
But this is, this is the truth, brothers and sisters. That is an illusion. Who you were on the other side of medical school, on the other side of your job, on the other side of somebody saying you are accepted, is the same person on the side that is accepted. Who you were before is the same person you are after. What has changed? Are you somehow fundamentally a different person now? No, of course not. But this is how we think in this world. We think, oh my gosh, there's something lacking. I need something. I need to prove that I'm good enough to get into this thing or to get their acceptance or to get this job or to make this money, right? And so the feeling like you have to prove something is this debt. It's weighing over you, right? It's over you like a black cloud. Uh, another uh, sign of being in debt to the performance principle is being anxious, feeling like you have to do something. Something needs to be done. Something hasn't happened. And so we're anxious about the future. We're like, okay, okay, you know, these things have to happen. And so the reason why anxiety is an issue is because anxiety points to control. And so the flesh is this self apart from God, this self that is trying to make something apart from God, trying to feel secure, trying to feel worthy apart from God. And anxiety is oftentimes a byproduct of feeling out of control. The reality is, is that you can control some things in life, but not a whole lot. And oftentimes you cannot control outcomes. Anxiety comes from the feeling that we want to control outcomes. It makes us very anxious that we can't, right? We're worried about things. And so, you know, one of the signs of being uh, in the kingdom of God is no more anxiety and worry. You've heard me say that before, probably, if you've heard me talk about anxiety. But this idea of being in the flesh, of being in this performance principle, it's all up to me. I got to make this happen. I got to control things. I got to control my environment. And the problem is, is that you can't. You can only control so much. But you can't control other people, right? You can't control the weather. You can't control how many people are being accepted into medical school this year, right? You can't control what scores they got. I mean, maybe on a different year, you would have got into medical school. But this year, you don't. Just because, I don't know, everyone just happened to do really well on the MCAT. You can't control that. You can't. You want to, but you can't. Right? This illusion of control is such a big thing for us that, you know, we get sold on it. You know? I mean, one of the things that... Like, like we're very obsessed with health. You know, they tell us that about 70% of health is your genetics. It's your genetics. Now, this is not meant to say like, okay, then just eat whatever you want, right? Because yes, you do have control over about 30%. That is important, right? But the, the fact of the matter is, is there are some people based on their genetics who are very thin or, you know, they, they eat everything right and they're still going to have heart disease, my dad's like that, actually. He's very thin, and uh, he exercises every day. He never eats white rice. It's always the brown rice. He always does everything right, and he's had mo- multiple heart issues. He's had a heart attack. He's had double bypass surgery. It's just genetics, right? We hate to hear stuff like that because we like to think, you are in control, Right? And so anxiety is a sign, that, which, by the way, we all go through this. I'm not trying to say you're a bad person. That's not what this is about, brothers and sisters. This is not about good or bad. It is just a condition. It is a, a place where a lot of us find ourselves, an atmosphere, a kingdom, a reality, a reality in which we think it all is up to us. And there is a price for that. Being restless, right? This, this feeling like, okay, okay, I gotta do something. I gotta do something. You know, this is something that a lot of people experience. You know, we can't be still. 
Because there's something within us that tells us being still is lazy, being still is unproductive, being still is unacceptable because the the default of me is I have to perform, I have to do something. So I can't be still. And, And for some of us, you know, it's really hard to relax. You're on vacation. School is out or whatever, or, you know, like, like you're not at work and yet you're still thinking about all the things you have to do. You, you, you find your, 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 your foot is like doing that thing when you're sitting still and you're trying to rest, but you're like, right? You do that thing where you, you're, you're like, knee is, right? Why do we do that? Because there's something within you that's like, oh my gosh, I got to move. I got to move. I got to do something, right? And we can't even relax. I know people that after school is done, they're like, Pastor Steve, I'm so restless. Like, like I, I just, I'm so, like, like I'm, I'm so worried, but I have nothing to be worried about. I, I don't have anything to do. And that's kind of the problem. I feel like I should be doing something. Brothers and sisters, that is a sign of the debt to the performance principle. Um, another sign is being crushed by your failures and mistakes. And, and I think the word crushed maybe is, is, is too strong here. But you're so affected by your failures and mistakes, by not measuring up. Because, brothers and sisters, when you live by the flesh, the debt to the flesh is you now think those things define you. And by the way, it goes both ways. It's either being too sad, (laughs) a little too sad by your mistakes, and being a little too pleased with your successes. Because if you are defined by your behavior and your performance then if you perform well in this world, then you're like, oh, I'm so good. I'm so good. And brothers and sisters, one of the, 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 the sort of dangerous things is most people did not get to where they are by themselves, right? So, uh, you know, people have been joking around because uh, um, I, I think our current president said this. He's like, you know what? I'm a self-made man. In my first business, I started with a small, tiny, insignificant $2 million loan from my dad. That's it. Just a $2 million loan. And then I made my own fortune. And we all look at that and we laugh. We're like, you're not a self-made man. You got, like somebody gifted you $2 million and then you started your business. Right? But we like that narrative. We think that our successes are all up to us. And so when we are successful, we're like, well, it must be because I'm worthwhile. Right, And then there are people who are very intelligent, very hardworking and all this stuff, but they don't have the same advantages in life. They don't get as far. And what do we do to those people? Well, they're lazy. They must not have worked hard. right? Because we live in America, the land of opportunity. And so if they had just worked harder, if they were more worthwhile as human beings, then they would have made it. Do you see that? Do you see the danger of this? Right? You get a little too high on yourself when you succeed and you think it's all up to you, that it was all because of you, that you deserve all the accolades on your own. Right, But then when you make mistakes, when you fail, you also punish yourself. You get really down. Right? You, you, you think like, not just I failed, but I am a failure. I, I, I find that this one... Is something that haunts me. It's, it's not just I'm crushed by my failures and mistakes, but I'm often thinking, or, or just so much of my well-being is tied to how I am doing in my different roles in life, in the different ways I have to perform. As a, as a, as a dad, as a, as a husband, as a pastor. And one of the things that, um, you know, I've been talking a lot about, uh, well, if you've been to some of the past messages in the last few months, I've been dealing with this panic and anxiety thing. And when I look back to all the times where I've had panic attacks, or the worst ones, oftentimes it is because of, or it's shortly followed by, feeling ineffective in ministry, or feeling ineffective in life in some way. Um, I, my therapist just pointed this out this past week, and I was like, oh, He's like, yeah, you know, look at this time where you had this panic attack. You were coming back. You, 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 were, you were trying to counsel somebody. You're, you're, you're trying to pray for somebody. And you didn't really see results, did you? And, and you were frustrated by that. You were sad. 
And, and there's a part of me that's like, well, you know, it's no big deal, and I brush it aside, but it affects me. And maybe it affects you when you don't succeed, when things aren't going well. You're constantly comparing yourself to others, right? Because the performance principle, the, the, the way that this thing keeps going is that people believe in it. We live in a society that believes in this. We live in a society that values this. And other people, they're so desperate to convince you they are something. And so we flaunt it and we show it and we have different status symbols. Hey, look at how successful I am. Look at the way I dress. Look at the car that I drive. Look at the degrees on my wall. Look at the the letters after my name. Look at all of these symbols that I've made it, that I'm somebody, that I'm significant. Don't you believe me? And we start to believe them. And we start doing the same thing. And we look around and we're like, oh, well, I must not be measuring up. Because look at how well everyone else is doing. And oftentimes we're comparing ourselves not to the people who are doing worse than us, but to the people who are doing better. And so we we always feel like we're playing catch-up, right? The last one uh, maybe seems kind of weird, but you are offended often. Now, brothers and sisters, maybe you're not convinced by this. What do you mean that if you are living in the performance principle, in the flesh, that you're offended often? Can you think about people who are really secure in who they are? Like really, really secure. They just know who they are in God. Have you ever met anyone like that? Have you ever noticed that those people don't offend very easily? Have you ever noticed that? There's a reason for that. Because when you get offended by something, it's usually your false self that's being offended. There is something that you have put stock in, in your identity, that, by the way, is not real. And the reason why the false self gets so easily offended is because it needs to justify its existence. It knows it's not real. But somehow... Um, it has to sort of like, you know, uh, uh, support itself in a way. And so getting offended by everything, you know, like by all these things, um, by all these identities that are not you, those identities are not you. And brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that there aren't times for us to, to feel righteous indignation by things and to say, hey, you know what, this is not right. But this feeling of I am being attacked you know, when somebody says something that offends me, you know, there's something that I have to defend within me that, that is apart from me in some ways, but it is me. You know, brothers and sisters, that's not you. That's not really you. That's not who you are. You are not those things. You know, those are just labels that we put. You know, some of us, we put a lot of uh, uh, stock into even like our ethnicity, our ethnic background. You know, those things, a lot of those are cultural things, but it's not real. But we get so easily offended because we make that an identity. We make that who we are. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, you know, as we look at this, what is the alternative? What, what, so if we are in debt to this performance principle, I hope you can see that a lot of these things are not very pleasant to walk around with. What would it look like if I could really be, be free from having something to prove to people, from being anxious, from being restless, from being crushed by my failures and mistakes, from constantly comparing myself to other people, from being offended all the time? Brothers and sisters, isn't that something you would want? I know it's something I would. Wouldn't that really be freedom? Really being free from that burden of everyone else's expectations and the expectations that culture and yourself and maybe even your parents, they put on you and, you know, maybe they meant well, but somehow you always feel like you're not enough. You always feel like you're not measuring up. You feel like you can't be comfortable in your own skin. You can't just be. You can't just sit still and just know that you're okay. You're always somewhere where you're not supposed to be. You need to measure up to something. You need to do something, right? And so 
Brothers and sisters, this is my hope. This is my prayer. This is where I want to be. I want to be free from this. And so let's take a look as it goes on. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, we we have an asterisk here for sons of God. Um, Oftentimes, we will not translate this because earlier it said brothers, Right, And we understand that when Paul says brothers, or a lot of people in the Bible, they say brothers, they actually mean brothers and sisters. Just the Greek convention was the word brothers meant both brothers and sisters. But in this case, we do not translate it children. We could, because later on, it actually says in verse 17, uh, 16 and 17, right, that we are children of God, right? Um, so we could translate it that way, but we don't hear Because the concept of being a son is important. Because in this world, a son was a full heir. A son got everything from their parents. They got everything, right? Now, so when we say son, we're talking about the status of being a son. This is extended to both uh, uh, males and females, to, to both you know, uh, guys and girls. This is not exclusive to just guys, but it is the status of being a full heir, all right? So for all who are led by the Spirit of God are full heirs of God. You are children of God who get everything from God. You, you have all the full rights of being a child of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, so here it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, these two things are opposed to each other. Being in the flesh is a spirit of slavery. You can't help it. You can't help but just need to prove yourself, right? So, brothers and sisters, what we are seeing in this is this is a certain kind of bondage. This is not just about willpower. This message is not stop being in the flesh by your own will. You can't do it. All of us live in the flesh. There's not a single person who doesn't live in the flesh at different points. That's the only game in town. Because we're all competing and trying to be better than other people. And we're all trying to prove that we're worth something. That's the world that we live in. That's the air that you breathe. Right? It's just the environment. It's just who you are. It is just natural. Right? What is not natural is being completely freed from that system. Isn't it weird when you meet someone who truly, not in a way where it's like they really do care, but they act like they don't care, but someone who really doesn't care about what other people think. Have you met people like that? We were alluding to this before. These people are not easily offended, right? But somebody who just really doesn't care. They don't play that game anymore, right? They're just like, hey, I know who I am. And they're just so content in that. Have you met people like that? They're rare. But it's so freeing. I mean, you see such freedom in that person when they are freed from this system of having to perform, having to measure up, right? Um, And so, brothers and sisters, this is the spirit that God wants to bring us to. It is the spirit of a very clunky phrase here, adoption as sons, that's not what it says in, in uh, the Greek. It's a weird word that means nothing to us, but it's usually translated as sonship. What does that mean? Um, so <laughs> I'm going to just make up my own words because it's kind of a made-up word anyways. Childrenization. <laughs> Childrenification. It is becoming a son, becoming a child. That's the spirit. The spirit of just, you are a son. You are a child. It's just, it just is what it is. You are made a child. You just are. You just are. That's who you are. It is a new identity. And so, brothers and sisters, what this is, is a gift from God. What does it look like to be a child of God? To be freed in that way? Well, I mean, you know, if you just look at what the flesh is, it's pretty much the opposite of that. 
Right? You know who you are, not because of what you do, but simply you are. You just are. You're just a child. You have full rights. You have full worth. I've used this example before, but I think it bears repeating. When a child is born, when our children were born, there was so much pride, there was so much joy, there was so much love we felt for that child. And the child, our daughters, hadn't done anything at that point. All they were doing was crying. I mean, they're completely naked. They, you, right, I mean, you know, I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. Sorry. Sorry, Elise. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. But when you're born, you don't have fancy clothes. You don't have a degree, right? You didn't do anything. You're not doing anything. But I will tell you that I've never loved another human being more. Why? Because she's my daughter. Just, that's just is what it is. I'm pleased with her. I love her. She doesn't need to do anything or prove anything. She just is. She just is. What if you were able to carry that spirit, that spirit of being a child, all the time, like literally all the time? That was just in you. It was just in you. And the world is telling you, perform. Hey, you got to prove something. You're not good enough. You're not good-looking enough. You're not smart enough. You're not getting good enough grades. You're not earning enough money. And just within you, you're like, what are you talking about? I know I'm enough. I know who I am in God. And none of that stuff affects you. You're not like, "Ah, ah, ah." you're not all restless. You're not all anxious. Like, I got to do something. I got to prove something. I got to measure up. Ah, ah." You know what? Like, I just feel off today. Is it because I took that test and I got a D on that test? Maybe. Is it because that my, my, my boss made that offhanded comment about, hey, you know what? We all got to pick it up. You know, we're, we're kind of falling behind. And then he looked at me, you know, and that just kind of stayed with me. And I'm at home and I want to drink an extra glass of wine tonight because I feel off, because I feel like I didn't measure up. What would it look like to actually have the spirit of childrenship, of just being a child within you? Wouldn't that be freedom? Because what does the spirit of the flesh, what does the flesh look like? It is a spirit of fear, isn't it? What is motivating you? What is leading you? It is fear, isn't it? The fear of not measuring up. The fear of not being enough. The fear of not being worthy. And we know what that looks like, right? But when you are led by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of childrenship, you're not afraid. It's a different motivation. I mean, in a way, it is love, but it's it's this kind of love that's like a security blanket. You just know you're okay, Right? You know the world is okay. You don't need to jump or run or hustle or prove. Right? You, 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 you just know through and through that you're okay. It's gonna be okay. There's no fear there. There's absolutely no fear there. Now, I, I wanna point out a few things that I think sometimes we get twisted a little bit. So this verse 15, which is a very important verse. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as children, with full uh, rights as heirs, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, usually we think of this the other way around. We think we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out to God, God, save me. God, I need you. And then we become children. This is the way I usually was taught when I was uh, in youth group. It's like, oh, you're not a child yet, but cry out to God, right? Cry out to God in faith, and then you will become a child, right? But actually, if you look at this, it says you have already received the Spirit. And by the Spirit, now you can cry out to God. There is something about that. There's something about knowing that you are a child, and because you are a child, then you can cry out to God. So uh, we adopted a a dog about three years ago, Lucky. He's very cute. If you guys have ever been to my house, you've seen him. He's a very friendly dog. When we first got Lucky, we thought there was something wrong with him, or at least I did. (laughs) Because for about a week, Lucky, he never barked. Never barked. Never made a noise. 
And, and I was like, what's wrong with our dog? <laughs> I mean, on, on one hand, I'm like, okay, maybe that's good because it's not going to be annoying. I'm like, aren't dogs supposed to bark? Right? And people are like, oh my gosh, she's so well-behaved. She's so calm. I'm like, yeah, it's weird. I think, I think our dog's broken. We got to <laughs> take him back or something. But this is the thing. After about a week or two, he started barking. And, and so when he started barking is when other dogs would go by the house. The first week or two, he would never bark. He would never cry. He would never whine. After a couple of weeks, he would whine all the time. And he would come up to me, oh, I want food. And I'm like, oh my gosh, go back to the way you were before. But why? Why didn't he? Because he didn't know that he was my dog. In the beginning, he's like, oh, this is some stranger's house, right? I don't know how long this is going to last. And so he behaved like a stranger. He was on his best behavior, right? Like, I can't make a peep. But after a while, he started to get comfortable. He started to know that he was unconditionally loved. And now he could cry out. Now he could cry out and say, Master, I need some food. Or, well, dad, or whatever. I don't know. I mean, am I his dad? I don't know. Is that weird? <laughs> you know? Or he's like, oh my gosh, there's another dog coming. This is my house. Yo, this is my house. Right? Now he had the comfort of knowing he's a child. Brothers and sisters, I find this extremely comforting. Because there are many of us who cry out to God. And if you cry out to God, you know in some measure you are already a child of God. You already are. Maybe you don't feel it fully, but you are. Because you couldn't cry out to God if you didn't already have the Spirit within you. Does that make sense? I mean, it is the way with kids, oftentimes. You know, kids will cry to their parents. They'll complain to their parents. They'll whine to their parents. Why? Because they know their children. They know they can do that with their, their parents. It's okay for us to do that. But this is what we usually do. We look at this and we're like, you have to cry out to God. And then God will answer you if you have enough faith. We read these passages and it's all about faith. 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 What do we mean by that? We mean your faith. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to say something that maybe. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to fully agree with me, but I think we use faith as a weapon. And I think we use faith as a backdoor into the flesh. And what I mean by that is we make faith a moral test. Oh, well, see, you know what your problem is? You don't have enough faith. If you just had more faith, then God would answer you. Oh, if you just had more faith, then, you know, you would feel not anxious or whatever the case may be. Right? And so this is the thing. I mean, if you think about all of this as the spirit of, of, of childhood, right? Of being a child, then this makes no sense. Have you ever said to a child, you know what your problem is? You're not trying hard enough to be a daughter. If you were just a better daughter just by trying, you know, what does that look like? You know, can anyone be a child by like, mm, I, I'm, I'm really a son, mm. but this is the way we treat faith, isn't it? Like somehow it is, you have to morally strain, you have to psychologically strain. It's like this sort of like, like, like force power that you have to have faith. Just, mm, you know, I'm, I'm going to really believe in God. I'm going to really believe in his promises. Mm. Brothers and sisters, that sounds like work to me. That sounds like another part of the performance principle. You're not faithing hard enough, right? So you should feel bad. Brothers and sisters, the way that I have come to understand faith more, it is more, um, let's go back to this picture. It's more falling into something than it is jumping into something. Right? We, we talk about the leap of faith. Hey, just take the leap of faith. Just take the leap of faith. Like, I'm scared. I'm scared. Just take the leap. You just have to jump hard enough. You just have to jump far enough. Right? Faith becomes another task. Another backdoor, fleshy principle work that you have to do. Right? You're not good enough because your faith isn't good enough. No, brothers and sisters. No. Faith is simply being embraced by a father who already loves you. It's not work. 
It's more of a fall. It's more of a surrender. This is why we talk so much in Christianity about surrender. We sang that last week. I surrender, right? What is surrender? Surrender is no more fighting. No more working, right? Surrender, like, like I've never heard someone say about, you know, a team that gives up <laughs> or, or an army that gives up. Like, oh my gosh, do you see how they surrendered? That was so good. Like, their surrendering was the best. There's no merit to surrender. That's a better way to think about faith, right? But we praise people's faith. I know Jesus praises faith. But that's why it's so ironic. Because look who's, who he's praising. He's praising, like, like, like uh, in one story, there's a woman who's been bleeding her entire life. And she breaks all these social conventions because she's so desperate. And she just reaches out to God in her desperation. And she offends everybody. They're like, oh my gosh, what is she doing? And Jesus is like, daughter, rise up. Your faith has made you well. She's like, it has? I was just desperate. I just tried everything else. I just reached out because I had nothing to lose. He's like, that's right. (laughs) There's no merit there. The Pharisees are like, but we've been working hard our whole lives. We have faith. We have been doing all this stuff to be these good uh, um, law keepers, right? We, we've been doing everything right. And this woman, all she does is just reach out in desperation. Yeah, that's right. That's faith. That's what children do, don't they? They just cry. Have you ever said to a child, oh my gosh, you're cry. It's so adorable. Like the pitch of that cry, so good. Oh my gosh, because you cried for 15 minutes, I will give you what you want. Now, some parents do that, but you shouldn't. Really, you shouldn't. It's not another work. Do you get it? A cry is not a work. It's just desperation. It is acknowledging that you can't do it. You just need God. Brothers and sisters, this is 1,000% gift. Who you are in Christ, it is simply received. You fall into it. You you, you just become who you are in Christ, and then you try to live there as much as possible. And when you live there, you will experience a new kind of freedom. Another way that I know that the way that we have faith is all wrong is because there's so much fear around it. Oh, I, I just, I don't have enough faith, right? Brothers and sisters, he did not give you a spirit. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of childhood by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The spirit's going to do that. You don't have to worry about it, right? Just receive Just receive. Just let him tell you you are a child. You don't need to work so hard at that. Mm, I just really need to believe that. Mm, Just believe. (laughs) Just fall into it. Just listen, right? And and if it takes your whole life or if it takes, you know, uh, 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 if it doesn't come right away, that's okay, brothers and sisters. But let's just fall into the arms of this father who already loves you. He's already taken the first step. You already, for many of you, already have the spirit within you. Right? All you got to do is receive it. Be open to it. That's it. That's it. There's no pride there. All the pride is erased. All of the performance principle, all the ways that the flesh is trying to say, ah, I was so good. I deserve this. No, you don't. You absolutely don't. That's the point. It's a gift. You just are. You just are. Can we get the praise team to come up here? I, I want to uh, give us a moment, and uh, praise team, you, you can start playing some mood music here in the back. I, I want to give you a, a moment to pray this. And maybe for some of you, I don't know, you have heard these messages before. You have heard that you are, cho- you are a child of God. But you have not received this for yourself. And you know this because you're living in the performance principle. You're living with all this anxiety and fear. And that 
you know, maybe you've heard this before, but it's the knowledge is just here. It hasn't crept down. It hasn't gone into your very heart and your soul. And so, brothers and sisters, if that's you, I want to give you a chance to pray. Maybe you've believed this before. You know, and sometimes we think about these things as one and done. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't know. I think there are people who've received the Spirit, but you're not walking in the Spirit. You're not living in this actual freedom. You're still living by the rules of this world. You're still trying to impress. You're still trying to prove. And so maybe you need to fall back into the arms of the Father. The Father who will catch you. The Father who will whisper into your ear, into the depths of your heart and soul. I love you. You're my child. You don't need to prove anything. You're already worthwhile. You're already enough because of what I have done for you. You're free. You are free from all of this nonsense. I'm trying to prove that you're something. You just are. You just are. Can you receive that, brothers and sisters? Brothers and sisters, if you don't fully feel it, but you can cry out, let's just do that right now. Cry out to your Abba Father. He listens. The Spirit is helping you, enabling you to do that, enabling you to cry out to God. So let's just take a moment to pray. And brothers and sisters, maybe it's the first time or first time in a long time. Brothers and sisters, just don't overthink this. Just just fall. Fall into this truth. You are a child. Brothers and sisters, you can pray, but I I might just speak these things over you. You are a child. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He didn't send his son to die for perfect people who had their lives cleaned up. People who are doing everything right. People who are working hard. People who had achieved so much. He died for sinners, for broken people for people who had screwed up, for people who who weren't getting things right. Not for the people who are getting picked first, but for those of us who oftentimes are picked last. He died for you in all of your imperfection, in all of our unworthiness, but because of what Christ has done, if we can receive that, that spirit of adoption, that spirit of, of childhood, you will know fully that you are completely worthy now in Christ. You are His child. You're His child. He loves you. He will never abandon you. You can have the full life that God has for you. God, I just pray for each and every one of us, God, that we can receive this gift again the spirit of childhood that you bless us with. God, maybe it just seems too good to be true. There's parts of us that fight that. But Lord, just may we fall into this reality. God, may we just surrender and give in to the truth of what you have given to us, God. Of what you want us to know about who we truly are that we are your beloved children. We don't need to stand on our good deeds anymore. We don't need to justify ourselves by how good and moral and upright and hardworking we are. But we can just cry out in desperation. We can just fall down, God, before you. We can just receive this gift. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.